Welcome, Spartans, to Halo TV Plus, part of Evolved, your home for Halo. I'm your host, Oren, and on Halo TV Plus, my guests and I recap Halo's original TV show, Halo the Series, and discuss its semi-canon lore within the Silver Timeline. This week, we are covering trailers and Silver debriefs, and joining me this evening is Aaron Campbell. Welcome to the show. Hi, guys. Yay, first time here. Yay. First time, not last. And uh, yeah, it's going to be exciting. We're going to talk about the the four trailers now, I believe, that have been released over the last few months, and two of the Silver Debrief blogs that 343 has released as of this date. I think we'll get another one next week, just because we usually have one after each trailer comes out, and we haven't gotten one for the latest trailer that premiered during the show premiere at South by Southwest, so... I think we'll get one more before the show releases, which we'll probably cover on another show. But uh, as of recording, we have two of those blogs that we are going to dive into. But before we get started, some housekeeping. If you're new to the show, welcome. Halo TV Plus is part of Evolved that hosts other Halo shows, Podcast Evolved, Mission Debrief, Builds with Blocks, Halo Book Club, and Halo Headlines. Evolve also partners with HGS Pro Talk, a podcast where Will and Josh discuss the latest information within the competitive Halo scene with an emphasis on community every week. You can learn more about each show on our website, evolvedhalo.com. As we are a new show, we ask you to rate us and leave us a review. We greatly appreciate all of our feedback that we receive from our listeners to improve the quality of all of our shows. We would like to take this moment to thank all of our patrons for their continued support. Thank you all so, so much. Our patrons receive a variety of exclusive rewards, such as early episodes, unique swag, and access to our podcast soundtrack, and more. You can head over to patreon.com slash halopodcastevolve to learn more. Last week, we covered what to know from Core Canon. To contextualize our listeners into the show, we discussed two eras that Halo the series takes place in, which is the Insurrection and the Human Covenant War. We didn't dive into specific events within those eras, but as the show airs, we will likely discuss specific events and how they all may have changed for the Silver Timeline. And since Halo the series has been advertised as a deep character drama, we also discussed the following characters and their place within the core canon. The Master Chief, Cortana, Dr. Halsey, Captain Jacob Keyes, Dr. Slash Commander Miranda Keyes, Spartans Vanak, Kai, Riz, and Soren as well as Quan and McKee. We touched on silver timeline changes that have already been confirmed and speculated on some other character motivations that may deviate from core canon as well. So if you haven't listened to that one and you haven't listened to our first episode, which is the history of Halo the series, you can listen to those on your podcast service right now after this episode or before if you want to come back. We'll be here. All right. So this episode, Aaron, like I said, is trailers and silver debriefs. Both of us rewatched the trailers we reread the blogs in preparation. Just kind of an overview. What's your sort of sense from the trailers? Like, as a Halo fan, are you generally excited? Are you generally worried? Like, what's the overall impressions of what we've seen so far a week away from release? I'm going to sound a little like you. I think it was in the last episode you were saying the same as me. Is I'm actually kind of excited. Like, Looks-wise, I think it looks as good as something like The Expanse, and that was kind of like my bar for if it can look as good as that show, I'm quite happy because like, I think The Expanse does a pretty good job. You can, If you sort of squint closely at it, you can notice where they cut the corners, but it's still it's a good serviceable show, and the, the CGI and everything looks pretty decent on it, so that was like my bar. So seeing the trailers, they look pretty good. 
listening to them talk. I'm not overly fearful. It sounds, I get the feeling things are going to be compressed and I can live with that. I like the idea that I could be surprised because I know anyone that hasn't any experience of Halo, there are going to be none the wiser. Casual game fans probably won't know a lot of the inner details, but we fortunately or unfortunately have a grueling in-depth knowledge of the lore in a way that I think would just bore me to death watching a TV show retelling the events beat for beat. I'm excited to watch this show and be caught off guard by stuff, which is something I wasn't expecting originally. I think so far I'm liking what I see. Like As the trailers go on and we see more stuff, I'm, I'm trying not to overanalyze and nitpick things but I'm, I'm filled with some positivity here. Like, it's a good, I'd say a good solid 7 out of 10 mood at the minute. I, you know, there are some things that I haven't quite latched onto, but for the most part, a lot of it is just like, okay, they changed this, let's see why they changed it. Or they went in this direction, let's find out why they did that. What was the choice there? What was the thinking? As opposed to just outright saying, that's not how I imagined it, that's not how it was portrayed on a game, like it, it, it shouldn't be the case. So, like you said, and like I've said before, I'm, I'm very optimistic. I'm looking forward to it. The last trailer that we're gonna get to at the end of the episode that, that came out, that, that really got me hyped. That probably got me the most hyped. Whereas all the other sort of materials that have come out, it was just like, yeah, okay, this is interesting. This is cool. Let's look at how it was made and stuff. But because we're so close, and the last trailer just, I don't know, it got, it got me really excited as a Halo fan. Hopefully, it, you know, it keeps that momentum and the character drama and the action is really enticing to watch and really engaging. And we'll, we'll just have to see how it comes together. Oh, and one more thing that you said. I also agree that we're being told like a new story. Yes, I would prefer if it was, you know, in canon and all that and it was still a new story. I'm very glad that 3 for 3 didn't go in the direction of just retelling the game or retelling a very specific sequence. Because, like, I guess it's cool to see some of that in, you know, visualized, but, like, at the core of the story, I, I just want new stories. So, I'm I'm happy it's that way, which I, you know, some, some people may disagree with. They would just, like, oh, just remake the game and it'll be awesome. But it's like, well, you could go play the game because it's still awesome. To those people, I want to say one thing because I feel like they're very confident in the fact that retelling the game beat for beat will be the best way to go. And to that, I counter with Halo the Flood, the most controversial and least liked probably of the Halo novels, where the best bits of that novel are not the bits where it retells Halo Combat Evolved beat for beat, but it's all the additional new stuff it adds in. Like, We've covered that for the book club, and I think all of us have agreed that the bits we like of that novel are not the bits where he retells the parts of the game that already happened. It's the new stuff, it's the other characters, it's the new information. And to do that again in a TV show, I don't think would be something anyone would want to sit through and enjoy. And another counter I would put is just how many times they've remade The Fall of Reach, because there's, a, there's the novel, there's the comic book, there's the animated series that they did to a degree. There's the game, you know, towards towards the end in terms of how it kind of messes up the timeline. And like, but, but mainly those other three, the animated, the comic book and the novel, like they're all telling the same story, but they're all tweaked and changed 
And I feel like that's that's ultimately what this would have become. And I think that's ultimately why they decided to just embrace the fact that everything's going to be changing and just make it its own thing. Because no matter how hard you try, things are just not going to translate the way you want it. Oren, are you possibly suggesting to me that you have had enough of Reach Falling and that you do not want to watch it once again <laughs> reimagined in a new format? How dare you? I am all for seeing like a battle on Reach in the TV show if that's a direction they go into it. But like, I don't need the visual adaptation of the novel The Fall of Reach. But anyway, I digress. Let's dive into the first trailer. If you want to rewatch all these trailers with us as we dive into, you could just pause the podcast now. Where the first one we're looking at is the teaser trailer that came out in November of 2021. Pause and come back, and we will dive into it. All right, welcome back. So this is a pretty short trailer. Of course, it's just a just a teaser. It starts with the back scars that we see on you know just a Spartan's back. We're not really sure who yet, but we then start seeing the armor coming on. The hands, we see the 117 engraved on the chest, we see the helmet going on, and then we hear the, the, the famous lines from Cortana, hello, Master Chief. And then we get the big banner, Halo, new series, streaming 2022, Paramount+. Plus. The bits that we can gather from this is that, you know, it is Master Chief, 117 is his Spartan number, of course his name is John. Two things I wanted to touch here where the back scars are from the augmentation process, like we've covered before. All of the Spartans went through a rigorous augmentation process when they were 14, and they enhanced their muscular tissue, they enhanced their bone density, and a bunch of other biological functions within your body to then create them these superhuman super soldiers that they become. So that's some of what we get in there. We do get a little bit more of that in the live action trailer from Halo 4 called Birth of a Spartan. If you wanted to go check that out, it shows you some other scars on other parts of their bodies. It's it's a pretty well-made uh, live action trailer. I think from, from that aspect, it kind of loses me a little bit when you get into the fighting the Prometheans at the end, but they're trying to promote Halo 4. Then the second part of this is the number engraving. The number engravings didn't really pop up too often in the canon. I feel like is the first time the numbers came up was that forward on the dawn. I feel like was that the big controversial we need the numbers on the armor to like identify chief and then they started to feature in a lot more because up until that point I feel like we had if you think of like the black team comics where everyone's just a generic Spartan and you can't tell who they are. But I feel like the first time I really remember 343 defending the numbers on the chess plate was Frankie talking when they were making forward on the dawn and they were saying that they just they really wanted Chief to stand out as Chief. And that's why the 117's engraved on the breastplate and it's just been a thing ever since. I thought they did it sooner in some of the other comics for for the same reason, where it's like when you have a comic panel, like they're just they're just all Spartans. They're wearing all the same armor, so you, you're not you don't know who's who, and you don't have a voice you could recognize because it's a comic panel. But maybe I'm just getting the timeline a little bit wrong there. But I feel like they're yeah they're maybe around about the same time. I feel like if you still have a bit of a grievance about the number on the chess plate, you lost that fight many years ago and you just have to <laughs> accept it now. Like it's 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 done, it's a thing. The numbers are here to stay, probably forever. And that's just I mean, that. they did include the numbers in Halo Infinite, which is the most recent game, which I think is a first for a game. So But yeah, you know, is it nice without it? Sure. 
but I get why it's there. It's because you're going to have four Spartans running around, and if you can't immediately recognize their voice and what their faces are, because, you know, they may not see their faces as much, I don't know. But you have the numbers there to help you identify who's who. Well, do you want to take us through the next trailer? Yeah, I will. Next in the timeline is the first look trailer that came out at the Game Awards in December. Right, so this is the 2021 trailer. If you guys want to watch the trailer, go and load it up now, and then join us when you're finished. All right, we are back again. This trailer, we get to see more stuff. By the way, can I call out the people that make trailers and put three seconds of footage from the middle of the trailer at the start of the trailer, and then immediately start the trailer? I don't know why that's a thing. Like, I, I thought it was like a YouTube thing where they just like, it just like auto generates or something. It just all of a sudden just happens. And then now every trailer does it. And it, and I agree. It I, annoys me. I, I do not get it at all. I'm like, I am literally about to watch this trailer. It is not even a minute long or a minute and a half long. Like it's a minute and five seconds. I do not need a reminder of what's coming up in the middle of it. So that's just like a weird thing that they do a lot now that... I'm not sure. Or like a slight, it's a slight spoiler. Like, you know, if it's the first time you're watching this trailer, it's like, you're going to see these cool flashing images out of context. I mean, granted, the whole trailer is out of context, but the trailer is designed to entice you. So why take the best moments of the trailer and get rid of it? Yeah, it's, it's a peculiar one. So I'm just going to pull this trailer to one side. So this trailer now, we get to see a lot more... It opens on a shot of what looks like an outer colony or a desert planet. There's a ship flying over. I think we have it confirmed that that's Halsey's ship, isn't it? Yep, that's Halsey's ship. I forget what it's called. It has a name. It's named after. It's the the Zen the Zen E class courier. That's that's what I have here. But yeah, there is an actual name. Yes, it's her home planet's name. I think I read in the trailer. So her. I read somewhere. Could have been one of the silver debriefs or something. Probably. We'll cover that in a second, so we can we can pull that up. Yeah, but like that's a good, nice wide shot. I'd love to know what's going on with this city, because it's interesting. The giant sort of like metal baffles sticking out of the, the desert and this tower and you see solar panels. It's all cool. Like it's good high quality CGI. You see Chief and Forerunner Ruins. I think it's Chief. We get a shot of what looks like Reach. There's UNSC ships over the sky. It's a massive futuristic city. It's beautiful. We see Halsey. This is our first look then, was it, at Halsey? Yes. So we get that is Natasha McElhone. She she does a good Halsey. It's that sort of good. Like, she does a good younger Halsey. What are we, at this stage with the fall of Reach, like, we're not quite into elderly, well... The timelines are maybe a little different with this. Yeah, the timeline's very condensed. So it's like, I get the feeling that this is earlier in the quote-unquote Halo timeline, where like it's 25-25, 25-30, where it's like pretty early in the war, but the Spartans are already like men and women. <laughs> like They're already adults, whereas they would still be like teenagers in this timeline. So yeah, she's still very like determined and cold and like for science and we have to do this because we're you know gonna get extinct yeah like she very much looks like she's in her mid-40s where i think if we're around the fall of reach like even in reach when you play the game like she looks much more like she's in her 60s she's not elderly halsey (laughs) yet but she's not she's not young halsey 
But she looks the part. We get a shot of the rubble, the interior. Get a shot of... I'm terrible with names here. Quan. Quan. Yes. I, I definitely did not pull up the cast list here, so I have it in my hand. We get a shot of High Charity, which has had a little bit of a facelift. Yeah, it's a good representation. Yeah, it it's nice. I like it. But it nearly looks more like instead of being a... It looks like the dome has a bit of a hollow in the inside of it, which is an interesting look to it. You can sort of see up and into the core a bit more, but it's nice. I like that they've sort of like illuminated the spine up the middle to give it like a nice punchy visual look. Yeah. Like in that, we see Maki. And these character images are, they're, they're just like portraits. It's just like a full shot of their face, just kind of looking past the camera or like right in the camera. Yeah. It's good to just kind of like, okay, these are the characters that we're going to get to know. Yeah, these are these are important faces. They're ones you should remember. And then the one that caught my eye was actually the next shot, which is the outside of the rubble, mm-hmm. which looks fantastic. Like it's exactly what you imagine when you read the novels. And then we get a shot of Soren. The same again, staring off past the camera. We see Baby Chief. Well... <laughs> We see Youngling Chief. I assume it's Youngling Chief. We see soldiers running through a hangar bay and skidding to a halt. We see Miranda staring off into the distance. We see Silver Team drawing their weapons. We see pelicans flying in the dark in formation over what looks like that Reach City. It's quite a good trailer. Chief doing his superhero landing. Yep. Deadpool tells me that's quite bad on the knees, so I hope the armor really helps him there. Like, as a good little teaser trailer, this is it. Like, it's to the point, and I like it. Like, it shows you a little bit of everything. You see what the CGI is going to be like. You see the quality of the costumes in action. I like this as a little, just like, warm-up. You've got some notes here, so we run through these. So we have Halsey's ship. We have the Forerunner artifacts and ruins. They're pretty uh, run-of-the-mill stuff. The rubble, really enjoying that. We have Halsey's voiceover where it does sound like she's talking to Chief. You're suspecting young Chief here? Yeah, so she says, um, kind of throughout the trailer, it's cut up with very dramatic pauses, but uh, I wasn't able to turn on subtitles in the trailer, so there's like one little line that I'm not really sure about, but for the most part, I think it's, she says, um, you're special, in fact, I'm counting on it, whilst in the dark but you give people hope and I will always be with you. I see this as a new beginning. And so I think this is her talking to John either as a kid or as a teenager because I can see this being like a moment where they already have a type of relationship and this is maybe right before the augmentation because like that was a huge moment in the Spartan 2 program. And so she can kind of just be talking to him to, to help, gives herself a little bit more of justification for what she's doing. A sympathetic character, is that sort of... Yeah, just kind of like internally accepting and justifying like, you know, the horrible things she's doing to these children. And so I kind of see that's that's part of where where this line is, is coming from. So that's 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 kind of what I think. I, I think that makes a lot of sense because if you're going to introduce new people to Halsey, Halsey is actually the most awful human being to ever exist. If you look at her purely on a sheet of paper... She's a terrible human. Kidnapped all these children, experimented on them, dumped her child on her dad, 
like she really is just not a great person if you only have like a glancing view at her so you probably have to go out of your way to like make her seem warmer somehow and like sympathetic otherwise you run the the danger of people going like why would anyone like this woman at all ever <laughs> yeah because going through the kilo five novels there were times when i sat and went why 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 did i like this woman she's she's terrible so i can see like when you're on a nine episode tv show and you've really got to like squeeze all that in and condense it you run the risk of just having her seem like the red skulls like chief scientist in the marvel universe like you don't want her to come off as that sort of like terrible unsympathetic mad scientist yeah so i think that makes total sense that you have to have this and you have to have these moments with chief and his flashbacks where she's going to seem like she's doing these things for a reason for a justification and she cares i mean you, you this could even be right after first contact or something so i i think you can insert this line in different places for the same kind of context where there's you know people are contradicting her or pushing back at what you know what her motivations are and this is her trying to reinforce her stance on you know whatever subject matter they're discussing so yeah we'll we'll kind of see how uh how it unfolds all right after that we get to the new year in january of 2022 we get our first silver debrief blog it's going to be an ongoing series, so we'll be covering these blogs throughout Halo TV Plus's tenure. And uh, the first one's called A New Beginning, and it opens with a statement from Kiki. They're, they're quite long, and I recommend everyone listening to go and actually read through them all. We're taking specific quotes and different sort of moods that are discussed in the briefing, just kind of as a general overview. So you'll get kind of the meat of what is in the blogs, but I do recommend that if you are liking what is being discussed, then you want a little bit more behind the scenes and get some more context within the core canon. Definitely read these blogs because they explain it very, very nicely. But uh, we get an opening statement from Kiki Wolfkill, and she says, it's such a surreal feeling that they're finally so close to premiering the show. It's been a labor of love, and that at this point in time, they're very deep in post-production with the heavy visual effects work which makes a lot of sense. They probably have the picture locks all done and the run times. They have audio work, probably tweaks that they're doing to where the cherry on top is just finalizing those individual shots with the visual effects works that they'll splice in and then they'll export and premiere and all that fun stuff. Then we get an interview between Alex and Frankie and they describe that Silver Team is a nod to the silver screen. Silver Timeline is a nod to the silver screen, which of course is what the TV was described as when it was created, I guess. And then I have some quotes here that I'm just going to read through because it gives some good context for how the show's development really began. And we touched upon this a little bit in our history of the TV series, but to come directly from Frankie and, and Alex, I think it's, uh, it's good for context for our listeners and for anyone else who's curious about how the show kind of came to be and kind of what they were thinking. And so we can kind of look at that to inform us on the different decisions that they've made to create this Silver Timeline. So Alex says, The Silver Timeline is a unique vision of the Halo universe that contains and embraces many key elements of the core canon that has spanned the last two decades. 
with irrelevant contextual and narrative details that diverge in different and appropriate ways to storytell opportunities presented by the TV medium and our collaboration with creative partners. To tell the best Halo stories we can, we want to protect the integrity, simplicity, and future of the core canon, but also not be limited when faced with the realities of a new medium and a new process of production. As a result, we made the decision to set the Halo TV series in an authentic but independent timeline. Frankie goes on and says 343 toyed with the idea of a separate timeline from the beginning that kept resurfacing throughout development, and it was ultimately embraced, but not lightly. The Silver Timeline is grounded in the universe, characters, and events of what's been established in core canon, but will differ in subtle and not-so-subtle ways in order to tell a grounded human story, set in a profoundly established Halo universe. Where differences and branches arise, they will do so in ways that make sense for the show, meaning that while many events, origins, characters, arcs, and outcomes may map to the Halo story fans know, there will be surprises, differences, and twists that run parallel, but not identically, to core canon. Most Halo lore fans are aware of the origins of Chief, the Spartan programs, and the machinations and outcomes of that program, but haven't seen it through the eyes of the kids who experienced it, or the adults tasked with making it happen. We get to do that and also tell a story with a fairly dark period in the Halo universe, and unbleakingly look at the ethics and morality, but with the advantage of perspective. We know why the Spartan 2 program happened, and also why it may have been necessary, but the moral ambiguity of both events and characters is going to act as a prism for how we view things we thought we already knew. And he goes on and he describes similarities between production of the TV show and game production development, talks about COVID and how it hit the show really hard, as well as Halo Infinite. And then when comparing the show to Forward Unto Dawn and Nightfall, he says, in a freeze frame, they look very similar because they're both live action. And we've done it before. But the sheer magnitude of difference is dizzying when you see it all together. And then to kind of wrap it all up, Alex says, in summary, core canon will continue unimpeded and unfettered by differences and divergences in the Halo TV show. Likewise, the Silver Timeline will continue to draw from and explore existing elements, events, relationships, and more from the core canon, involving in parallel while retaining the themes that serve as pillars of Halo's identity. So we've been preaching it for the last two episodes. It's, it's different. We're going to accept it, and we'll see how it's best utilized. As we're going to talk about in the next sort of part of the breakdown for the first look trailer that we just talked about, Alex and Frankie kind of just go into, for instance, one good example is Halsey's ship, which the name is Edmimoin 2. It's the Zen E-Class Courier ship. And Alex says that they're showcasing the ship that's never visually been represented in the Halo canon, but it's been talked about and discussed. And so in the TV show, we're able to create the visual representation of it because it's just existed in like drawings and stuff. This is what the ship looks like in core canon, and if it were ever to appear in a game or in another type of core canon medium, then this is what it would look like. It's just premiering in the TV show. So that's just like one example of how the two are working in parallel, but it's its own thing. Anyway, Alex continues, and he talks about the location in Reach called White Tower. That's going to be kind of like our command center for the show. That's where a lot of the military and UNSC political conversations are going to be happening and kind of like a hub. 
talks about the art direction and inspirations during development. Then he praises Natasha McElhoon, who plays Dr. Halsey, and says that for her investment in character exploration of Halsey, since she's just she's such a complex character, everything from the design and layout of her lab to the books and artifacts in her quarters was informed by Natasha and her interests in science, technology, and humanity, which is pretty cool that that she's able to take the source material and digest it and interpret it and then kind of run with it, create how she feels this character needs to be portrayed. And we've already said that she's talked about how she can't wait to explore more of Halsey in season two. So it'd definitely be interesting to see her portrayal on screen. Like Aaron said, High Charity and The Rubble, two locations that appear throughout the Halo novels being visually represented they look cool. Like, I don't, I don't know. Like, I don't think we've ever seen the rubble visually before. You just kind of had to imagine it. Being able to see it now and like it looks as big and as busy and as complex as you kind of imagine it does when you read through the story and you see how it's described. I think they do a good job with it. And the same with High Charity. Like, High Charity looks the part. I know we've seen High Charity multiple times. And then again, High Charity looks a little different every time we see it. Like you watch it in the Halo 2 cutscenes and you watch it in Halo 3 and it like it, it changes up all the time in the blur cutscenes and doesn't strike me at all that it's a little different than any of the others. It just looks like a good, you see it and you go, oh, that's High Charity. Yeah, it's definitely identifiable by that means. Like, yeah, you see it. I'm like, oh yeah, that's definitely High Charity. So they, they did a good job, you know, creating that distinction. And yeah, during during the different game interpretations, it even changes slightly, but the, the core visual representation of it still remains identifiable. Then lastly, we they talked a little bit about Silver Team and how all of these suits were custom made and uh, they used, they didn't want to have just C- CGI compositing over the actors. They wanted the actors to actually wear the armor to get grounded into the, you know, what the Spartans have to actually do and you know it's not weighted as much but they do weigh a fair amount yeah no i think like it makes perfect sense that the suits are real and they're practical because when you see in the next trailer we're going to talk about and the one after that when you see the spartans move they have a very physical movement about them that i don't think you could fake in a cgi bodysuit like they move like large bulky humans and they have a very particular sort of style about it. So I think that makes perfect sense that you build real suits. And if you need to touch them up with CGI like shields or whatever, you do it. But it probably makes the most sense. Also, it would have to be insanely expensive. Yeah. The Marvel superhero movies are the ones who do those compositing suits over the actors because they yes. have the money to do all that, the money and the time. And like... When you see Iron Man move around in the Marvel movies, I know his suit's supposed to be powered and all the rest of it, but Robert Downey Jr. never looks like he's a great hulking human. So it works for this. Plus, physical props. If in doubt, always physical. Yes. We've all seen the prequels in Star Wars. There's a lot to be said for physical sets, physical props, and people not staring at green walls trying to imagine what's there. It just takes different... uh amount of preparations and direction to make all of that you know more effective but let's check out the the first official trailer 
Right, this trailer dropped, it was January 2022, so if you want to watch that, go pull up the video and join us back here in a moment. Alright, we are back. This is a nice longer trailer, we've got two minutes of trailer to discuss this time. We see Madrigal, we see the city, you see explosions, you see people running, you see the first controversial thing that came up, which was with this trailer, you see a man with an AK-47. <laughs> and yes. this has left a lot of people very confused and very upset, even though, as we're going to chat about this, this is not the first example of it in the core canon. These guys are on an outer colony world, and they have what is a good representation of what would be outdated technology. They do appear to have turrets and stuff in this place, but they also have very old machine guns. So a lot of people are very upset at the idea that in the future, humans still have things like machine guns. Now, we were talking about it before the show. 343 established in Shadows of Reach that old guns are just as good as new guns because one of the scenes in that when Blue Team are captured by the survivors on Reach one of the survivors pulls a desert eagle on Fred and I think Fred cracks a joke that shouldn't that thing be in a museum and the survivor says well, actually it wasn't a museum I took it back out and I'm still willing to bet it'll crack your armor as good as anything else like there's still a thing guns still work I think we have two different thoughts on why these guns might be here I personally lean towards the theory that they're going to pass this off as these are simple weapons that can be easily fabricated slash 3D printed in the future. If in doubt, the tried and tested AK-47 will not let you down, even on an alien planet. It's a little bit easier for the audience to see something that's more familiar to them as inferior to the super futuristic sci-fi weaponry that you're going to be seeing in the show. So while, yes... There is even core canon references of 500-year-old weaponry being used. I think that maybe the show takes place a little closer to our present, and it's showing these weapons and even the Chevy Tahoe, which is later in this trailer, as machinery and equipment that are quote-unquote old to highlight the advancedness of the starships and the Spartans' armor and the Spartan weaponry as a more superior weaponry. And so the UNSC are definitely more equipped and more advanced, whereas these colonists, they're still using modern day stuff. And I think for a viewer, it's easier to identify and be like, okay, I know the level of sophistication of a Chevy Tahoe and an AK-47, but I don't know the sophistication of a UNSC frigate or a warthog and an AR and a battle rifle and, and these other future weapons. Whereas if the insurrectionists had future weapons, but there were outdated future weapons, the show would have to explore that more to then ground the viewer. So then the viewer understands that this future weapon is different than the other future weapon. A good example of this, or a kind of good example, I don't, I don't know. I, I just watched Men in Black the other day. And like, if you haven't seen Men in Black... Tommy Lee Jones hands Will Smith like this tiny, tiny gun called the Noisy Cricket to fight, you know, the aliens. We, the audience, have no idea the power of this little gun until he actually uses it. And we would have to have scenes, you know, like this where they use it 
but because they're fighting other aliens, we would just accept whatever is being shown. More storytelling would need to be involved with that kind of stuff. Or as I think it, you get to the point if, if you just see what we already know. Yeah, I do think you hit the nail on the head with the very obvious practical fact that this seems very much like a production team move where someone has sat down and said, we need to show that these people are living an inferior, less advanced life, therefore older weapons. What canon reason they pass these off for will be interesting, but I think like at the end of the day, that's the actual reason is we need to show that these people are living on a backwater world They are not technologically advanced. They are completely out of their element fighting aliens. And this is the way we do it, where they are running around with AK-47s and sort of what we associate with modern day technology. And then Master Chief and Silver Team are going to come and save their asses. So like that very much seems like the practical reason. But either way, I'll be curious to see. I don't think it's a reason to get mad. I think if they turn around and tell us, yeah, you can totally fabricate an AK-47 in the future and use it. Because one of the things, like people have pointed it out in Halo before, even with Bungie, humanity's technology for war isn't overly more advanced than it is now. I know we have Mac guns and frigates and like The only energy weapon humanity had when we joined Halo is the Spartan laser in Halo 3. Like up until that point, we're still chucking grenades and bullets and flamethrowers at people. We're not out here with plasma weapons and energy swords. Like we discovered space travel, but we're still firing 9mm rounds at each other. You know, it's very much that sort of a universe of slight contradictions in some ways. So I think if you can accept that we're still using marksman rifles and rocket launchers, you can still accept that the poor people will have AK-47s and possibly even pickup trucks and Jeeps. I think that makes yeah. perfect sense. So I am not too overly upset about this. I also, if this planet is falling to the Covenant, I don't think we'll have to worry about its residents and its outdated technology for very long. <laughs> Unfortunately, yes. They're going to very quickly establish this, and I am fairly certain there will be a glassing scene in these people's future. Well, that's that's what really happened, and then everyone went to the rubble, and that's why the rubble is what it is. Yes. Because they had to leave Madrigal, so. I think that's very much the case here. Um, right, well, going on anyway, this trailer goes on. Chief does a superhero landing. He picks up a turret. He shoots. Stuff explodes, goes blue. Then we see Quan talking to Chief. She's eating some food. Chief does his look. And it's funny when Chief, like, turns around, it looks like he looks at her. And all I could think is, why does it look like the Guitar Hero, like, note highway reflecting in his visor? It's the lights or something in the drop bay that he's in. Oh. But I look like... <laughs> I look like I'm about to pick up a controller and play fucking Through the Fire and the Flames or something here. It's Oh, uh, man. Whatever that light reflection is, it's weird. Let's see. We go on through this. We get the back scars again. We have Chief doing his customary stealing a Marine's weapon. I quite like that. The Marine give it over willingly, which I thought was quite funny. We see more Halsey. We see Silver Team in an armor bay. We see an Elite... Sticking a plasma sword through a wall. We see warthogs. We see soldiers. All quite good. We see the Jeep. We see the nose of the Jeep, which I didn't notice the first time while there's an explosion happening. Like that whole scene, it looks very much, you know, desert city. People in cloaks are exploding. 
This to me seems like it's going to be one of the, like the first action sequences of the show to where like this is the Spartans being inserted into the engagement to assist with the neutralization of the Covenant. And like this will introduce you to the Spartan team, the, the silver team as this deadly force that goes and saves Quan. And that's where this, that's where these two characters would meet and, and kind of start the beginning of their relationship. I very much agree with you. I think this, if it's not the first action scene of the setup scene, it has to be very close. We get other pieces which look like they're part of this scene later. And we'll talk about it in the second trailer as well. But from the start where it looks like Chief and Silver Team land on the planet the whole way through, I think this is all going to be like the setup. This will be our introduction to everything rather than seeing like the fall of Harvest or any of that stuff. So I can see it, yeah. And there's that scene we see at one point where Chief's looking up at a Covenant ship in the sky and all. I think they'll very much glass the planet, the whole thing. We're going to find out that there we see here where Chief touches the Forerunner artifact. That's very much going to be why the Covenant are on this planet. Like You can sort of piece all this together, I think, pretty easily. And I think that'll be our final act on it. We get more shots of the rubble. We see more of Soren. We see a pelican on what looks like Reach flying in the sky. We we get a first shot of... Do we think this is Hood I think that's Hood, yep. Is it confirmed, yeah. yeah? I don't know if it's confirmed, but as far as representations go to, to in-game representations, I think this is a, a fairly accurate portrayal. I can't really see the insignias. Yeah, we, we see a little more of them in the second trailer. I think... At the time of recording this, Halo Cannon put out a video and I think he has the actor's name, so I think he might have said Hood as well. But he does very much look like Hood, so pretty good there. What else we got in this trailer? We see Cortana. Now, this was another controversial thing as well. I think we can safely say that this Cortana takes inspiration from like the look of Cortana as an AI in Infinite and the weapon. Well, actually, as I was rereading the Waypoint article, they actually say that they took her likeness from Natasha, the actress. So I think they're doing the same thing that they did with Cortana in the games in the sense that she is taking the likeness from Halsey, which is kind of taking the likeness from Jen Taylor. But in the TV show, since Cortana is from Halsey and we have a different Halsey, they're taking the likeness from Natasha, and then we're just using Jen Taylor's voice over it. Yeah, like, you, you can't see it, but I think the style itself is very, like, she looks much more like the weapon than Halo 1 to 3 Cortana. She has a little more color in her, slightly more human look to her. I think it's an all right looking Cortana. I don't get too upset about it. It has a little bit of the Uncanny Valley look to it, which I need to see a little more of her in motion to figure that out. But then again, I feel like sometimes when I'm watching The Weapon in Infinite, I get that vibe as well occasionally. So it doesn't exactly freak me out. A lot of people were expecting Halo 3 Cortana and then we don't get that, but she's made to look like the actress and that's just that. It's one of those things. We just have to work with it. As a single image and like a, as a snapshot, as a freeze frame, it, it is jarring. But I like, yeah, like you said, I think I'm just going to have to wait and see how she moves and, 
interacts with the other actors on screen. You know, it is different. But again, my mind has fully been on like, all right, things are going to just change. And I just have to accept that. It doesn't make or break it for me, but it is different. And we'll, we'll just have to see how she'll interact with the other characters. Yeah, I think it's like anything else. A lot of stuff that is made to look good in motion and passable doesn't necessarily stand up to the scrutiny of being paused and poured over frame by frame. Seeing how this Cortana looks in motion, she may be entirely fine, like entirely passable. The same with the elites. Like you can look and pause all those scenes and pour over them and go, these look a little ropey or these look a little weird. But when they're actually moving and that fight scene takes five seconds and Chief plasters the two of them across a wall, it may look perfectly good. It's just one of those things you have to watch and see. We get the reveal that it was this March. Then it goes on. We see phantoms. We see Silver Team in a hangar bed drawing their weapons. We see Miranda examining the Forerunner artifact. We see what looks like Halsey also studying it. We see ships. Looks like a Covenant disabled ship and then a human ship docking with it, which is interesting. Uh, We get a shot of the inside of High Charity. We can see the Anodyne Spirit in the background. We see Maquis in her best Star Trek villain outfit. (laughs) Yeah. We see like a far out view of the Prophets sitting in front of that weird lady core that runs down the middle of High Charity. And then we see Marines get their asses handed to them. Very much sort of big alien style as the Hunter Worms take them out. And then we see Chief and Silver Team doing their best, like, I've got business to do walk. The squad walk. Yeah, like the fast-paced, heavy squad walk. I think that looks good. Like we said earlier with the practical armor, it's a good look. And they look like they're actual physical presences, which is good. And then we see a pelican flying through some asteroids. And we see Soren again in, I think, this another little quick single scene that caught people out is he has a piece of chest armor that looks very, very similar to Chief and Silver Team's chest armor. So people have been wondering, is he does he ha- somehow have access to Mjolnir? Have they changed up his story, you know, his origins or whatever? But I think in one of the like cast trailers, he talks about how he is much less armored up than the Spartans. So I think it may just be a chest piece. And we'll talk about it in the, the second trailer as well, but I think there's another moment with Soren that uh, that we can talk about and how it may deviate from his core canon story. Yeah, and then that final scene is Chief flicking up the BR off the ground. He's looking a bit battered and abused. This is another pretty good trailer. I have no real issues with it. It shows us a lot of good stuff. What do you think? Yeah, no, it, it shows it shows you more of what's to come. I think this is the first time we really get a sense of what to expect in the TV show in terms of like the action and the kind of we get some dialogue between the two characters. I think we get more of the character interactions in the next trailer. This still is very more visual and more of like a tone trailer. But it starts raising questions with, with some of the things that are said, like Lord Hood saying... What does one do with a superhuman that you're not sure you can trust? You have Halsey saying like he's lethal, upgradable, most importantly controllable. So there's there's a lot of these questions and sides that are coming in into play here to kind of shape what to expect. 
and yeah, I, I think it was a solid trailer. I think the, the biggest thing that I took from the trailer was the fact that it's coming out in March. Yes, that reveal of the trailer and the fact the show was coming out in March may or may not have started quite some panic in the slack that day. Yeah. <laughs> there was a sudden realization that all our plans were on fire and we did not have time to wait until September and we had to get moving now. Chief, all like gritty, like towards the end there when he was just covered in just space dust and like he has the purple blood all over him. Like he, like this show seems like it could be pretty brutal in terms of the combat. And, uh, and yeah, I really enjoyed this trailer. I thought it was great. The one thing I want to talk about the Hunter Worms, if you're familiar with the games and you're otherwise not too familiar with the Hunter Covenant race, they're called the Let Golo. That's their species name. And they're actually just a bunch of worms. And they are all a, like a conscious collective mind. And they assume different machinations and objects to create, you know, a, a manifestation of sorts. So the hunter worms get into the armor and do what they need to, you know, and then that's what we fight. And that's when we shoot them in the back. We're yeah, shooting like the like- worms until we, we kill them all. So this, just like in Nightfall, the other live action show, these are the, just the hunter worms without any armor. Yes, we've... We have seen this in the games before, like we've seen this in Guardians, um, when Blue Team are on the space station, and I'm blanking Argent on its Moon. name. Argent Moon, yes. The hunter worms are like crawling through the outside of the corridor in the like cavities, and they slither down the lift across the glass in front of you and into the armor, and then like assemble into the hunter creatures that you fight, because. They are, like you said, a colony of worms. I know in the very first combat evolved, they're like it's not really figured out what they are yet, and they look very much more like fleshy, fleshy creatures. But they very quickly go to the full on. No, these are strands of worms holding things together. Even up to they power some of the scarabs as well. So like they are very versatile, and they can go from absolute nightmare creatures slithering through your corridors to giant hulking mechanisms that are coming to get you so it's a nice touch i like it like the idea that you take out an entire detachment of marines with worms because they can't shoot all the worms quick enough it's just like it's a nice touch and it very quickly establishes how sort of terrifying and menacing they are it'll be cool to see if they have like an assembly shot you know, with with Silver Team kind of mimicking that scene from Halo Five Guardians, that would be that'd be a really cool moment. All right, let's uh, let's just kind of continue on. We have the second Silver Debrief blog post called Unmasked, and again, we start with a message from Kiki, and she says, "We know that not every decision we make will be embraced, and in some cases, there will be hearty disagreement." I know that one particular controversial topic is that the Master Chief removing his helmet in the television series. The decision to remove Chief's helmet was not a decision made lightly, nor was it a foregone conclusion. That said, it was a goal of the show to deliver a differentiated experience from the games, not a carbon copy. And that, I think, just reinforces what we've kind of been talking about earlier in terms of, you know, not really looking at the games as a way for storytelling but taking what the games sort of embody and that feel of Halo and tra- and translating it into a different story. So we're not just making a carbon copy of it. And I think that that was almost like talked about 
I think there was one quote from one of the showrunners to where he was he was like, we didn't really look at the games from that perspective because we didn't want to remake the games. We just want to talk about character and what feels Halo and what is this universe and kind of create their own story, their own events with these characters so then it parallels the two, which, you know, is fine. Um, and then on for Chief's helmet, again, they've said over and over again that you're able to see the character's face or the actor's face, you're able to just get more emotion, you're able to work with the actors that you interact with a lot more easily instead of just talking to a helmet. So It's one of those things, how many times can you like beat back and forth over the same argument? At the end of the day, I think, I know a lot of people throw the Mandalorian up there, but even the Mandalorian revealed his face. Like, I know... There's only two ways you do this. Either you go like the Mandalorian and you save the reveal up for a big poignant moment or you establish very quickly that Chief is going to take his helmet off. And numerous people over the years in 343 and Bungie and stuff have pointed out like everyone's standing around with their helmets off and Chief's standing there with his still zipped up and you're like, this is a bit weird, but it's got to be done in the games and stuff because Chief doesn't show his face to you. But like, if the rest of Blue Team are sitting chatting with their helmets off, it seems kind of rude not to take yours off. So I expect Chief to do the same in this. And also, if they weren't going to show Chief's face, I don't for a second think they would have cast Pablo Scryer as the actor. You would have got someone unnamed to just be the big guy in the suit. And that would have been it. They pick this man, you're going like, right, they're going to show his face. Yeah. And I don't think it's the end of the world. And like, you know, you see Sarah Palmer's face, like in the games, like, you know, her character. So you see, you see Osiris's team's face, like, you know, you, they, you, these are characters you want to interact with. And I think, I think the games just went down the path of you becoming Master Chief and they just never showed his face to where now they're just locked into just never showing his face. Let, let, let's not throw Palmer up as an example because I have issues with Palmer never wearing her helmet. She really needs to wear it more often because she's in the middle of combat with no helmet on. That's She well, takes that's it too far the other way. Different. Yeah, but no, I think it's fine. And as people have, we've had to point out before, Chief does take his helmet off in the lore all the time. In the Flood, he spends time on the Halo outside his armor. Like It's a thing he does. He's in it a lot. It feels like his second skin, but he does take his helmet off. He does speak to people outside of his suit. He does have a dress uniform. Mm-hmm. It's it's not the end of the world. We just, as the player, don't see it because Chief is our vessel and that's it. But this is another timeline and he's going to have a face and it'll be fine. It'll be totally okay. The first time he takes his helmet off and he has that big mustache from Orange is the New Black, everything's <laughs> going to be all right in the world. <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, All right, so continuing through, we have Season 2 is officially announced. I personally feel like it may start filming as early as the end of this year, or at least the second half of the year. And if they have as much visual effects as they do for this season, which they likely will, if not more, I think it's optimistic to think that it'll come out by fall 2023. I'm betting on, again, another March release, probably in 2024. Although I do think there is a better cadence for the second season because sets are already built, armor is already built, characters are already cast. I feel like it's much easier to move into a second season 
you know, it took us pretty much from 2018 to now with COVID to get the TV show, whereas you can very much condense that. But I think coming out as early as next year would be a huge undertaking if uh, through for three and everyone's able to pull it off. So I, I, I give it two years. But um, enough about that, though, because season one's the last to come out. In the blog, they talk about IGN's FanFest interview with the cast and crew, which is really cool. It's about 30 minutes if you wanted to check that out. And then we get into the trailer breakdown again for the trailer we just watched. And um, I just kind of have a few little notes here. They talk about the scale of the show and how in the games, the perspective is very much first person because that's what it is. And even in the cinematics, when you pull outside of the character a little bit, you're still very localized in the environment that you're in. Only in like really establishing shots do you get the scale of of like a location. Whereas in the show, they really focus on the scale and the context of where the uh, characters are in their space. And so they, they really say that you definitely feel the scale of Halo in the TV show compared to the games. They touched upon the broker armor mechanisms that help the Spartans get their armor on. And we see that in this trailer, which is pretty cool. They were first introduced or visually introduced in Halo 4. And that seems to be a fairly one-to-one representation. And uh, they talk about how they had multiple on set where one was like a hero one that actually functioned and the other ones were not functionable and more just like a set dressing item. And it kind of makes sense to where like they, they invest in one to actually spin and move to put probably a stunt person in there. And then the other ones just kind of are there for, for show. They talk about the elites and how they've adopted a more classic Sanghealy anatomy that's kind of from the original trilogy, although their combat harnesses were designed to embrace the uh, motion capture sort of process. And I think that kind of goes into what we were talking about with the slight armor changes for the Spartans and how they had to wear slightly adjusted armors than what we get represented in the game just for simple mobility to have an actor in there and physically moving. And so that's why, you know, the shoulder pads are a bit smaller. You know, there's more neck clearance so then you can turn your head and stuff like that with the helmet on and stuff. So that's why they've made the decisions is that they're very practical in that sense. I also talked about how the Sangheili language was actually kind of developed by linguists to where the language will now reflect a little bit more to how the mandibles actually move, which it will be interesting. It almost makes me wonder why that wasn't really done in the games. But anyway, so if the wart wart sounds a little bit different, it's because... We're creating a language to fit mandibles and not something that humans yeah. can make, I guess. I don't know. I'm guessing it's just something there, like an oversight when they originally made the games and it maybe wasn't something anyone in Bungie was super hardcore thinking about. Whereas like when you get into the novels and particularly they touch on it a lot in the Kilo 5 books because they have uh Sangheili linguist on the Kilo 5 team and he goes into great detail about how they speak the way they do, why they talk. Phillips talks about how they have great trouble pronouncing their uh like FIP sounds, so they call him Phyllis all the time because elites struggle to say Phillips. So little things like that. I like when they put good detail into stuff like this. 
do you think in about three years time we get a a version of what is the lord of the rings this oh the samarillion the samarillion that's it i could not think of it at all i'm wondering like do we get our like halo version of the samarillion with full breakdowns of elite language now and stuff like that are we going to be able to learn it like we can learn klingon oh goodness gracious i don't know that'd be weird Continuing on, they say, they talk about the Forerunners, how they took inspiration from the Halo 2 anniversary maps, Warlord and Shrine, to kind of build the natural formation Forerunner technology integration type of architecture, which I think is pretty cool. But like now, now that they pointed out, it's like, oh yeah, that environment looks just like the map Warlords <laughs> that I've played on dozens of times. Because they, they, they say the design motif makes you wonder where the alien construct begins and the natural formation ends. So that's a cool little detail. Um, now here they talked about Cortana, how it's based on the likeness of Natasha McElhone. And it reminds the reader that Cortana was not created to be the companion and friend of Chief. Originally, you know, Cortana was just made for a mission that the Spartans would then escort. And uh, we talked a little bit about that on the last episode of like what Operation Red Flag was and all that kind of stuff. But also that Cortana was made, you know, illegally since she was a clone of a living human brain as opposed to a dead human brain. And so there's some ethnics involved that will be explored in the show. And that there's also going to be some distance between Cortana and the viewer that's not as close as we have it in the games right now. And that's to kind of create some tension between her relationship with Chief, which I think makes sense for a first season. You kind of have to warm up to the character. You don't know who to trust, what their alternative motives are. And because even Chief had some reservations about that early on with uh, being paired with Cortana about, you know, what if she gets in the way of my mission was kind of one of his concerns. So they're kind of, you know, delivering on that and expanding on that type of initial relationship as they start this introduction to then where you would think, that into like a season two and stuff, their relationship would be a little bit stronger into what we kind of know know now. Yeah. Uh, let's see. That's about it. They talk about the starships, some cannon there. We have a UNSC Galatis class heavy Corvette and a Covenant SDV class heavy Corvette. And if you're familiar with Halo Reach, the game, it's you know they they kind of took inspiration from there. And then we have McKee and the Legolo again that we've already kind of touched upon. Yeah. Uh, all right. This is the official trailer too. This dropped this month in March. If you want to go and load this up and have a watch and then come back, assuming you haven't already watched and dissected it, go and give that a go now. All right. We are back again. So there is a lot more to talk about in this trailer. So we will, we will just go as we go through it here. I'm just going to leave it playing on loop while we're at it. This trailer starts off, I, I like the start of this, like it, it opens with that shot of Chief looking up at a Covenant ship. You know very much that is the end of Madrigal, like I can I can almost take bets on it. Yeah, this, I think that's very much at the, the end of the sequence that we've been seeing so much of. It's a, it's a very good, I think, establishing sort of set up for the show in that humanity wins on the ground humanity do not win in space and this is probably a great way to show that 
Chief and Silver Team will kick the Covenant's ass only to be driven off the planet with plasma fire. So that's probably a very quick, easy way to set that up in the show. Uh, we get like a quick scene of a couple of flashes and then we get the Halo banner and then we start the trailer properly because it's a thing. Uh, I'm just sort of watching as we go. So we have that panning shot again. It's Chief looking up at the Covenant ship. You see smoke, you see the rubble. Rubble still looks very good. We get a shot from inside the rubble of Quan and a character that we don't know. And they're looking out of a viewing portal at the planet. We see what look like little uh, space taxis inside the rubble. Does it look like all those taxis are zipping along on steel cables? They're all like little boxes shooting back and forth inside the rubble. It's quite cool. I like that they seem to have put some thought into how the rubble functions as a city in space. Yeah. Then we see Baby Chief again with Halsey standing in the doorway of his cell. Well, it looks like Halsey, but you only see them in silhouette. We see a nice view of a planet with a ship flying along. Then we see this planet we saw from the teaser. I assume that ship might be Halsey's ship because we see it here then in atmosphere. It's Halsey's ship flying down towards the surface. Do we assume this is... I think it's Madrigal. I mean, unless it's a different kind of deserty-like planet. Do we think this could be Chief's homeworld? Like, could this be a flashback? Could this be Halsey's ship flying in to do the establishing King of the Hill scene, like, I, f- I feel like they probably... Oh, if, if you want to explain the King of the Hill scene. Oh, yes. I was just going to establish it as this is pretty much uh, Bruce Wayne's family were murdered in an alleyway. But for Halo, the establishing scene is the chief plays a game of King of the Hill with his classmates and Halsey goes to observe him and then speaks to him and gets him to do the coin toss game and then decides that he is the chosen one. So it's... It's been shown multiple times in comics and animated and in the novels. So we've seen it a few times. I'm kind of wondering, could this be that? Because if Halsey's ship is here, I assume we're going to get flashbacks of this sort of thing. And it's another outer colony planet. And it would be the rubble. Does the rubble exist? No, the rubble didn't exist on Chief's planet that's another colony i'm thinking of isn't it yeah it's another i forget the name of it but it's it doesn't take place near magical but i think it does it's in the same system yeah i think that I, one I, I wrote i wrote this note down on it i think on the last episode but uh but i think they condensed it to where the rubble and magical take place pretty much right next to each other for the sake of the story but um but they technically are two different places i, I kind of get the feeling that we're seeing maybe one of Dr. Halsey's like secret labs that she has. Like she has a few on reach and maybe she has another one on this planet. And this is where she does her experiments and things and where she created like, this is basically her sword base and not her sword base, her, um, castle. Is that what it is? Her bat cave. I I could see that too. Wouldn't really bother me any. We get uh, Quan's little appearance there where she quickly establishes why she has nothing left to lose. We see an attack on the colony. We see shadows of elites coming through the dust while what look to be important characters, they, they lock on this man's face a couple of times. So 
Yeah, I don't know who he is, but I think he's going to die for a reason. And that's why I, I feel like he's related to Quan somehow, either like through like relations or or like biologically. Like, it could be like an actual relative or just like friends or like a companion or something. Yeah, like we, we get a shot of her looking through the blinds out of like a building. I can assume that he is some sort of family member. He will die at the hands of the elites and Chief will then swoop in and save her. And that's how we'll get all this establishing stuff. Like you see it, you see the elites there, the plasma sword through the wall. We get another shot of Reach again. We get our first like proper glimpse at Captain Keys, which I quite like. Yeah, this is the first time we see Keys in any of the trailers. And he, he actually has like acting moments. And Yeah, he has dialogue. Yeah, it's it's great. He's crossed with Halsey. I can only assume he has discovered the Spartan program because that his line is, what else are you willing to sacrifice? And Halsey says everything. So I can very much assume that that's one of those things. That could be one of the key differences in the lore because in the main universe, Keyes had his suspicions, but he never outright found out because as soon as he got close to the truth, Halsey had him reassigned. So that oh, could yeah. be... That could be one of those key differences in this universe. You know, it could set the family and the character drama together and establish all of that pretty quickly. Yes, and I think I touched on that last episode to where I think, you know, in the core canon, these three characters didn't really interact a whole lot. But I think for the TV show, you need to have them all interact a lot to create those tensions and the drama between the three of them. Because anytime you have a dysfunctional family... That's why so many television shows have dysfunctional families, because it's often more interesting to watch the, the misery that these people go through and, and, and look at their journeys as they interact. Because if everything was rainbows and sunshine, sometimes it, that's not as engaging to watch. <laughs> so yeah, I think you're definitely going to have the three of them in the room all having their own stance and their own belief of, of what to do with a particular situation. And that's going to be layered on top of the fact that they're all related and they're all family. Yeah, and I feel like you get two you get two family dramas with this show because you're going to have that and then you're going to have like the family conflict between Soren and Chief because they are the, you know, the brothers raised different. You know, you're going to have the yep. the disgruntled brother that sees the truth and then you're going to have Chief who is just doing as he's told and all the rest of it. So like there's a, there is a lot of good interpersonal setup here for drama which I'll be curious to see. Then we get this scene again of everyone running and skidding to a shop in the, a stop in the hangar bay. We see Miranda. We get what appears to be a dead augmented Spartan lying on a bed. Oh, I did put a note in here when we were talking about this. I'm pretty sure that this scene of the hangar bay and all the rest, they all seem to be tied together. I'm putting my bets on it now that this is going to be where we first meet like McKee. All these people seem to be scrambling and running across the hangar bay and then we later see Silver Team drawing weapons and there's another establishing shot later where it looks like Miranda is surrounded by like a protective escort of marines in the same bay. So I'm hoping for a really good villain moment, confrontation sort of a thing going on. Yeah. We see Parangoski for the first time and we get to hear Parangoski speak as well. So I love her line, like her lines. I'm, I'm interested in finding a way to be less reliable on Dr. Halsey moving forward. And she's literally saying that to like her daughter. Yes. And it's like, <laughs> I, 
and like that that is very much Parangoski through and through in the core universe and this universe then so we established that very quickly i hope she's a good menacing character because yeah i think i just want her to be just such a conniving just back shadows backstabbing type of a always four steps ahead of everybody yeah like they do a fantastic job of establishing her in the karen travis books and she is one of my favorite halo characters because of it and if we kind of get a nod to ginger nuts in there as well that'll be great Let's see, what do we got next while we're going through here? Halsey salivating over the Forerunner artifact. And then we get a shot here. <laughs> we get a shot of Miranda looking out of a viewport. Now, you put down in the note that you wonder, are they both looking at the same thing? And I wonder, while Halsey's salivating at that, I think this scene might be Miranda looking at something in space because the frost all over the viewport to me, screams Urlock. Okay. So I'm I'm thinking this may be like our establishing shot of the battle with the Covenant and seeing them from orbit close up. That's like one of my thoughts there on that. But I do like... McElhone has this just like really... When you see her like pacing around that artifact there and she just has this like tight drawn look on her face, it's just like... It's everything, you know exactly in that moment that Halsey does not give two fucks about anything else right now. Yeah, it, the, the universe is her in this artifact. If they set fire to Jacob in front of her right now, she wouldn't even notice it. There is only that artifact, which, pretty good. Like, they get that pretty quickly. Then we see Silver Team walking through this bay, the Marines, like, getting out of their way. Then we see Jacob Keys on a planet, in fatigues. And then we get more like Young Chief. We see a child in a pod. That's the scene there where we see Miranda standing surrounded by like armoured marines. And then we see Chief flying a pelican. I think it's a pelican or a condor. It's hard to tell. You you put down here that you think it's Halsey's ship, but it looks like a pelican but with extra engine ports on the back. So I can't tell if it's just... Well, that that's why I think it's her, her ship, because when you look at her ship, it has those extra thrusters. Yeah, when you... If you go back to just the start and you play it, before it does, like, the roll, it very much from the top looks exactly like... It looks almost like the Halo 5 Pelican, the more rounded version. It sort of descends and banks to the right and it looks like a pelican with a rounded belly, but I don't know if it's a pelican for sure or if it's maybe like a condor because we know Soren has a ship that we haven't seen. There's also, there's a scene shortly after this where you see someone in the crew bay like flying back through it from the cockpit doors. So I wonder, is this like a like a chase scene, like a fight scene? Maybe it's Chief and Quan as they continue on their you know, character yes, journey. Yes, it, it could be them. We also do get, like, a line of dialogue from Soren at one point as well, and he's talking to Chief, and I wonder maybe if this could be, like, a scene with them together, so something cooler. We then see someone parkouring down a wall, and I'm not sure who that is. Yeah, neither do I. There's a female character, and they, they look to be on the desert planet, and they parkour their way down between two alleyways. And then I think, do we get a scene of Chief's face inside his helmet? 
I think so. Yeah. We get like the iron, like it's not quite Iron Man because Iron Man, I think, has more gizmos and stuff, but you can see the like compass tracker and the and the top because you, you also get like the little things on the side of his head, like the bio information. Yeah, so I think that's pretty cool as well. We see a pelican crash on a landing pad. We see uh, Quan again hugging some people. We see these pelicans again flying in formation at night. This is quite a good scene. I like this. We see the warthog racing through what look to be covenant drop pods. Like they look to be those yes. like, single person version of the covenant ODST pod. And we see one Spartan driving the warthog and two Spartans running alongside it, which is like a nice touch. And they are like just completely hoofing it. And then, yeah, we see the spirit dropship. It looks to be reversing and running from Chief almost back to the drop pods, while Chief is absolutely sprinting to catch up with it, which is a really nice scene as well. Then we see Maquis and we see like the hunter party as they shred everyone. We get another shot of Chief with the turret again, just shredding people. We see our first look close up at a prophet. And he looks good. He does look good. Like, no matter where you pause the CGI, he looks like a good character. He looks like a good model. It looks like they've dialed back slightly on the, like, turkey neck that they have in in the games. He doesn't quite have as many of the big sort of, like, dangly, fleshy lumps on it, but he does look like a very good, well-realized character there. He seems to be in his throne seat as well. Then we get a scene of Chief surfing along on top of the Warthog. It looks like he's about to board a Banshee because there's one Banshee shoots along on the right and then you see a second one in the background and Chief looks hunched on the bonnet like he's about to leap up. So I wonder if he's about to like board and take a Banshee there, which would be very cool as well. We get explosions. We get another shot of the Tahoe and people flying. Weirdly enough, I think that's the shot we get from the last trailer, but flipped. Then we get Chief and Soren drawing guns on each other. I quite like this where Soren has a very big fuck off hand cannon, very destiny. What I wanted to note here is that we actually see his hands. And I touched on this on our last episode where we haven't really seen any of Soren aside from his head and his chest piece. And in the lore, Soren, you know, his body rejected the augmentation progress, so it left him very deformed and unbalanced with his, uh, like, arms and his legs and his, like, shoulders and stuff. And so, but I don't really get that sense here. So, I'm curious if, if they're leaning into maybe more subtle of that disfiguration or if they're changing, like, maybe how he defected from the Spartan program. You know, maybe, maybe he accepted the augmentation just fine. So he's more or less an equal to Chief, but but ideology-wise, he, he kind of defected as opposed to being forced to wash out. While you say that, and I watch this now, like part of me leans toward the idea of if this is well after the point where Soren dropped out and washed out, maybe he's been rehabilitated. Because there are cases of this in the lore. Osman, who you'll know from the lore, who takes over Oni eventually, she was another Spartan that failed and washed out during the augmentation process and only rebuilt her. Now, when I pause it here, just whenever he draws his hand cannon, I do sort of look and wonder, 
His chest plate does look very large and like it bulges slightly to one side. I wonder if maybe under that coat he isn't quite as like straight and... That's what I hope. I hope they lean into the fact that he gets deformed and he's kind of forced to... Because that, that his story, Pariah, like that, that story is so good. And just like how it just paints a different side of this terrible program. And then, like, for him to want to be a part of something, to then be forced to be rejected, and he's left with this this, this painful muscular structure that's just so large that he has to take painkillers and stuff. Like, compound that with different influences whispering in his ear. Like, like it's such just a really good story that I, I just hope they really keep as much as that grounded because you could because there's nothing after that in the core canon you really can make whatever you want after that yeah just lean into the origins and and build on it because you're able to do whatever you need to do so i i really hope that that's the case like he maybe it gets like burnt or something and he has to take it off and you just see the the horror in there yeah like i do think looking at that like it does look like his chest piece doesn't sit properly so i wonder if they will lean into that with it uh, like you can very easily you can come up with reasons why his hands no longer deformed maybe we find out you know he could have been reconstructed it could be robot like you can very easily go yes now i now have an artificial leg and arm to replace the two that were like badly deformed and crippled but i'm still messed up all over the place i can see that and but like you said because there's no other mention of soren after pariah you can totally buy into that and you can see that he would be an asset to insurrectionists, even if he's not a Spartan capable of wearing the armor ever again. Like, he's still stronger and faster than most humans and in fully mentally trained as a Spartan. So I can totally buy into the idea that he sort of is his own boss now and believes in the insurrection and is here to do shit. So I'll be curious to see it, but having frozen that there, I do think he doesn't look entirely in the correct proportion so i'm hoping they're maybe going to go into that and that's why he's wearing this big trench coat the entire time to like make that a little bit of a cool reveal right let's see going on from that we have that shot again of the pelicans coming up off the surface of reach we get chief and silver team doing their halo 5 moment where they just jump out the back of the pelican it's very cool I assume this is the start of the attack where they come to save the day and they're going to superhero landing into the middle of this battle with the Covenant. Yep. All very cool. Makes a lot of sense. Oh, it's such a good shot. Like, it's very... It's Halo 5 Guardians. If it has some nice bombastic music, I love the idea that Chief and Fake Blue Team get their moment to do the same thing. And that's us, is it? I think so. Right. What do you think of this? I have a few thoughts that I'll go over at the end, but what did you think of it as a trailer? I thought this was the best trailer of the whole, of all of them. You really got more dialogue and character interactions. And that to me, I don't know, like seeing Keys, seeing Parangoski for the first time, and then just kind of expanding on what's going on. This trailer just like really hit me. And then when, when they're jumping out of the Pelican with the with the line of like you know we're all we have now it's just us and it's like i don't know it just really to me it just it felt halo you know like i just i just got really excited and it was like man i can't wait to watch this show next week 
So it's um, I think this is the best the best trailer. Yep, I have I have totally enjoyed it. This trailer got me thinking in a way that the other trailers didn't. I know we have verged very long here, so I'm going to try and keep this quick, but I want to run this by you because one of the last things said in this trailer is a line from Keys. So we have Chief and Silver Team. They jump out. Chief says, Silver Team on me. And then we hear a voiceover from Keys where he says, we're all we have now. It's just us. And that line filled me with immediate fear and terror that this show is going to quickly establish the fall of Reach and end up in Combat Evolved territory. And that immediately made me think that we're going to see this poor man eaten in live action by the flood. Just, just the thought of it immediately filled me with dread that that will come at some point. And then it just made me think, how quickly will this season go? Do, do you think by the end of season one, we could see ourselves at Halo? Yes. Because in and one of the end of the trailers, it was like, find the Halo in the war. And in one of the other blog posts, it was saying that at this point in time, there's very little to almost nothing known about the Forerunners. And pretty much anything that we discover in the show is humanity discovering as well. And I think it'll all lead up to finding the Halo ring. And then humanity's going to believe that finding the ring is what's going to end the war. But it's actually not. And I think that's kind of where the cliffhanger will will kind of be. I don't think you kill off keys and you introduce the flood and you do and you really you, you know, I don't think you really dive into too much of the forerunners in this first season. I think you really you establish the characters, you establish the covenant as this force, you have this battle, you have these politics. All the while you're searching for this Halo ring. And it could be kind of like a little bit more of a of a search. You know, maybe they maybe they're looking at the different forerunner coordinates and actually like trying to find the ring as opposed to just stumbling upon it like it happened in the core canon. And then once you find the ring, that's when we start discovering what the ring actually is. And then that's where I think you leave your cliffhanger. And then into season two, you kind of have your own version of CE to where that ring now does, you know, we learn of what it is, Cortana learns what it is, and then you basically just go from there. Yeah, I do sort of, I feel like I agree with you there on that. Seeing seeing keys and like military fatigues out on the surface of somewhere that was just like, I, I could easily see us finishing season one on that cliffhanger of being on the ring. You can lean into the attack of the Pillar of Autumn. Like that could be the last episode is where the Pillar of Autumn gets attacked. It crashes and we land on the ring. Now, they've already said they don't want to completely rehash the first game, so if they do go in that direction, then it's going to be changed for some, to some degree. But I feel like a show called Halo, you need to have the Halo in there. You know, like, yeah. like Halo 4 is kind of the only game that doesn't really have a Halo, but like even in Halo 5, they kind of bring it back a little bit. Yeah, I do think you're right, though. I think that's going to be the big... that They've talked about how... This show and even a few of the early reviews that are out have talked about deviations from the canon. And I think that's really going to be the biggest difference is we're not going to like randomly stumble across Halo by luck. We're we're very much going to be there for it. And I think it's a good setup for like a show if that's what we're doing. We're hunting out this Halo and we're trying to get there. And I'd be very curious to see how these characters establish and set up and how that will be different because 
Halo is very much one man on a ring doing it all himself if you go by the game and we have a lot of characters here and a lot of things going on and I can see that being different. But I'm here for it. Like you, hyped with this. It was just the utter thought of going, oh no, we're going to see this poor man eaten by the flood at some point. Just. And we very well could. But I, I, I just I just think we don't get the flood this season. I feel like that's just too much too soon. I don't think we get it this season, but it was just the thought of we've got to go there at some point. Yes. It was hearing that line and suddenly realizing that we could hit combat evolved territory by the end of this season, which I don't know why I hadn't thought about it, but like I hadn't and it hadn't crossed my mind that we might actually get there this season. So it did make me hyped. It did sort of like get me going with what we could do with this. Yeah. I, I will be shocked and probably disappointed if we don't end up on a Halo ring by the end of the season. Like, I just I just feel like you have to. Oh, <laughs> uh, and it still gives me hope that we could get a Sergeant Johnson cast for season two. Maybe. Although, I don't know. I've, I've heard people call for Sergeant Johnson like, oh, he's a great character to be in the TV show. But like, you're not going to get an actor that looks like him. You're not going to get an actor that's going to sound like him. You can you can write like uh, Johnson would be but like I feel like the, I feel like the internet's just still going to be upset with whatever decisions they make with him so they probably always will but like Sergeant Johnson is a caricature of several movie versions of a character to begin with so I feel like you can you can make an entirely good passable Sergeant Johnson without having to have it be a, an exact look like like let's face it Sergeant Johnson doesn't even look like himself as we go through the games yeah. When you get to that death cutscene in Halo 3 and you get that really terrifying looking Johnson model, anything looks better than old creepy, bulgy, scary <laughs> eyes. So. He looked pretty good in, in, in Anniversary, though. Halo 2 yes, Anniversary. He does. He, he looks fantastic. Same there, with Miranda. I really, I really liked Miranda's model in Halo 2 Anniversary. Yeah, that sort of like merged together. Although I have to say, like, I, I really do like where they're going now with the actors they've picked like it now that i've finally seen keys in action i'm here for it i'm feeling it i feel like he can do some good real dramatic captain shit going on there yeah and thankfully i feel like all of the hubbub about the actor has gone away and i haven't heard any of it mentioned since we've seen him so i'm very pleased with that well shall we end it there I think so, or we'll end up making this a three-hour show. Yeah, let's not do that. Well, we'll end it there. The next episode will begin our coverage of Halo the series. Next week as of recording, but it actually, the series premieres tomorrow, because this episode premieres on Wednesday, and the show premieres on Thursday. So if you're listening to this, then it's tomorrow. Otherwise... It's probably out now, actually, if you're not listening to it on Wednesday. But in any event, um, like I mentioned during our podcast teaser, we'll be releasing a commentary episode and an analysis episode each week to cover the TV episode for the week. With TV episodes premiering on Thursdays, we are targeting a Saturday release for our commentary episodes and a Wednesday release for our analysis episodes. Anything can change. I wish I could make promises, but that's our plan. Depending upon our editing and how, you know, the crew is able to do what we're able to do, we'll try to get those out earlier. Give us feedback if, you know, episodes are releasing too soon, you're not able to watch the show, or they're releasing too late. 
let us know. It's going to be a very busy week for the next nine weeks. So we just want to make sure we get the podcast episodes out to you so then you can listen on a regular cadence and then watch the show as you have it. If you don't have a Paramount Plus subscription yet, Xbox just announced that a new Xbox Game Pass perk includes a 30-day trial for Paramount Plus on March 23rd. So if you enable that perk on March 23rd or March 24th, you'll have it for 30 days and you can watch probably the first four episodes of Halo the series. Now, if you wanted to wait to claim your perk after a few episodes come out, then you could wait, I guess, for five episodes to come out, claim your perk so you can get it for the next four, and then you have five or six episodes that you can basically binge. I don't recommend that because then you have to miss out on all of the content we're going to make for the next month. You know, I think it's only like 10 bucks a month. You could do it for two months to get your Halo fix or just do it for the 30-day the trial, then renew for one more month. You'll get all the episodes and then you can cancel if you don't want to rewatch or you don't want to watch any of the other programming that Paramount Plus provides. I'll leave that to you, the listener, to figure out. If you haven't listened to our previous two episodes, like I keep saying, they are the history of the Halo series and what to know from core canon. You can listen to them on Halo TV Plus's podcast feed, Podcast Evolves podcast feed, or by visiting our website, evolvedhalo.com. I mean, however you're listening to this episode, they're all, they're all in the same place. And with that, thank you, Aaron, for joining me. And thank you, listeners, for joining us for another week of Halo TV+. Plus. This show premieres on the 24th. Like I mentioned, check out HaloEvolve.com. I'm repeating a lot of what I'm saying because of all these different outros, so I apologize. But I would like to do another special shout-out to our patrons for supporting Evolved and making all of our different shows possible. If you're not a patron, you can head over to patreon.com slash halopodcastevolve to learn more. And finally, if you leave us an email or a voicemail about this episode of Halo the Series or what you're excited for, we can incorporate those into a future episode. You can email us at podcastevolved at gmail.com or you can give us a call at 205-EVOLVED, which is 205-386-5833. And with that, I've been your host, Oren, and until next time, Evolved!